HVAC 360, episode number 76. Comfy by Building Robotics, HR Expo 2014. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of HVAC 360. I'm your host, as always, Matt Nelson. Um, this week, we're going to be talking to somebody that I met at the HR Expo in New York City, um, uh, Lindsay Baker, who is the uh, the VP of uh, Business Development for Building Robotics, uh, was showing off her uh, her product at the show uh, called Comfy. Um, I guess what what really struck me uh, as uh, you know as I saw it was. You know, obviously, with lead uh, and different uh, uh, different things that you're going through, building comfort surveys is something that that you occasionally run into, and that seemed to be what this product was about. So I stopped by and talked uh, a little bit about it with Lindsay, and uh, you know, I guess another thing that really st- stuck out in my head was the fact that this is really kind of a web 2.0 kind of thing. And in an industry that that really isn't uh, known for its progressive, you know, cutting edge technology, uh, this seemed, uh, you know, really out there. Uh, it, it seemed like it was, hey, you know, look at me. It looked slick. Uh, the operation of it was was really interesting. And the concept was very bold, I should say. Uh, you know, it wasn't it wasn't business as usual. Uh, so I talked with her and uh, you know got some good information. So this is a follow up interview that I did. I did an interview on the uh, flow sh- the shore the the flo- the show floor, um, but uh, we caught up with her uh, back in California and we had a conversation. So uh, without further ado, here's my conversation with Lindsay Baker. <laughs> All right, today we're going to be talking with Lindsay Baker, who is the VP of Business Development for Building Robotics. How are we doing this morning, Lindsay? Doing good, thanks. <laughs> um, so uh, you represent a company, uh, Building Robotics. Now, we're going to talk about Building Robotics. We're going to talk about the product uh, called Comfy. But can you tell me a little bit about uh, you know what Building Robotics does and what, what kind of the, you know, the superhero origin story of them? <laughs> sure. Yeah, you know, I do actually sometimes feel like at least my co-founders are superheroes. Uh, I, I met um, Andrew and Steve, who uh, started the company about a year and a half ago. They are computer scientists coming out of UC Berkeley. They were doing their PhDs there, and I was doing my PhD as well. Um, as mine is in building science, and we met sort of as they were coming to the end of their program and really understanding. Um, this new opportunity in the building sector. As computer scientists, they're really interested in taking opportunities of, you know, where are there lots of sensors and actuators and data out there in the world that really aren't being used to their full potential, and how can we use them? Um, it's sort of that Internet of Things trend, in a way, that looks at uh, connecting the physical world. So they found, they sort of stumbled upon this, idea of buildings and how building management systems in particular have uh, a lot of data that they're collecting. They're doing a lot of stuff. They are, you know, very much computers, but they're sort of computers that tend to be stuck a little bit in 
you know, around 1995 in terms of the technology that's really being utilized there. And so they got really interested in why that was, um, started the company. The name sort of relates more to the idea that robotics is this field where you um, are trying to enable computers to do things that humans would have done previously, usually involving some sort of learning over time. So, you know, computers are getting better at what we call machine learning or otherwise artificial intelligence, some people call it. And uh, they were really interested in that aspect of how you bring artificial intelligence and machine learning to uh, commercial buildings specifically. So it's a little bit similar to what Nest does in the residential market, but this one, you know, what we've focused on is more uh, on, on commercial space, office space, that kind of thing. Um, so, yeah, so we met, and um, I was actually working with Google at the time and saw what they were doing, thought it was really exciting. We uh, got the company in, uh, funded. We're a venture-backed software startup. We started about a year ago, um, really kind of getting off the ground and doing a set of pilots. And, uh, yeah, so far it's been going great. And we've grown to a team of 10 people, and we're really getting, getting uh, all of the the proof out there now that we've got a bunch of good pilots. So it's been a really interesting ride. As someone, my background is more building performance, diagnostics, uh, sustainability, that kind of thing. And uh, starting a company has been pretty, pretty fun process. So yeah, we're having, having a good time. It certainly feels, we have plenty of days that feel pretty heroic. <laughs> so now, I mean, you mentioned a couple of, a couple of different, I don't know, catchphrases, like different things, internet of things, you know, I mean, if you, if you, and this is more for for the listeners of of various different uh you know uh, I guess uh, technical backgrounds. We're going to be talking about sure. things that are a little bit more advanced. The Internet of Things <laughs> is is kind of one of those those um, catchphrases nowadays that, as you described, it refers to everything seems to be connected from you know your toaster to your microwave to your you know. Uh, uh, even you know your house, your security system, your you know cameras, um, everything seems to be connected to the internet, um, and uh, you can you know it's like there's an app for that. This is is the the, <laughs> the common common thing where you can interact with these at a distance um, to be able to uh, you know do things that you you not necessarily able to do in the past. Am I getting that yeah, correct? I, you are, yeah, for sure. And I think one of the things. It, you know, it's, sometimes it's hard to envision what the real future looks like when it comes to the notion that, um, you know, the Internet was this very much this first step of connecting people and ideas and uh, services and economies all together, you know, into this network. And things, you know, the broad title of things still um, tend to be fairly disconnected, but you know, the sort of easy ones, people say things like, I go to the grocery store and I don't know if I ran out of eggs. I don't remember, could my fridge tell me that I ran out of eggs or I still got six eggs in my fridge? There's a lot of little things like that that, um, that we'll be able to do, but it's just the very beginning of uh, imagining a world where we have a lot more intelligence just about the, the things in, in, in our space. And I think where it gets pretty exciting, at least from my perspective, is when it really gets back to issues of sustainability and good resource use. You know, we're really getting to that point, especially with, I think, with the Internet of Things, some of the first 
technologies that have really taken off are ones where we're saying, hey, this this thing, this light bulb doesn't need to be on if no one's there. <laughs> um, you know, that, that kind of stuff is, is pretty obvious. But it's taking a little bit of time to, to make a smart light bulb, to make a smart thermostat, to make a, a smart toaster. Um, so it, it's, uh, who knows where it'll take us, but there's definitely a lot of opportunity in that. And it's been fun to be sort of in Silicon Valley experiencing everyone starting to have these new ideas about where we might see that kind of technology, that ecosystem go. Right. You know, and, and I like the fact that, you know, you, you mentioned the am I out of eggs? You know, it's like it's 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 always it's it's these things that you're like, you know, would that ever happen? You know, it's like people like your your toaster is connected. You're like, why why would my toaster ever need to be connected to the Internet? You know, it's it's the most kind of, um, you know, mundane things. But it, other things that, that are popping up that, that make a little bit more sense are, uh, you know, like, is my garage door closed? You know, it's like, I don't know how many times I'm leaving the house and I'm, I'm, I'm talking to my wife and she's like, did we close the garage door? And I'm like, you know, uh, there should be an app for that. Okay. Let's just check. Yes, it's closed. Oh no, it's not closed. Okay. Close it. You know, hit the, hit the button. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting. I think uh, one of the things we've learned is that a lot of technologies in Silicon Valley do kind of start with the phrase, wouldn't it be cool if dot, dot, dot. And, um, you know, and, and that's amazing that we live in a culture where that kind of technology gets developed because someone thinks it would be cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's really fun to watch those things. Uh, we're a little bit more focused on, you know, um, someone really needs this thing and, uh, you know, we're going to enable this, uh, you know, some, something that used to be just an object is now going to have some intelligence built into it. Because people really need it to be that way. I mean, certainly healthcare and those kinds of applications are big ones. But, yeah, I mean, coming back to the office, I think one of the things we're seeing is that there is the wouldn't it be cool if you walk into your office and the lights dim to the level that you like them and the temperature goes where you want it to be and the shades pull down and the window opens just to the right level and, you know, and your favorite music starts playing and whatever, the machine makes you a coffee. There's all these things, right, that... It would be cool, um, but at the larger level, there's a lot that just there's a lot of wasted energy, a lot of wasted resources that go into offices, and a lot of the intelligence I think that we're first seeing come out. It's just harder at getting people to be able to save money through a more intelligent, save money, save resources, save you know environmental impact, right. making smarter choices about those kinds of things. Yeah. Now, I mean, you you had mentioned Nest. And for anybody who doesn't know, they should, you know, Google Nest and, and figure out exactly what, what it is. Um, but, you know, that was really kind of focusing on the like the home market, being able to, you know, save energy, being able to track, you know, who's in the house, what are some of the, the, the usages. Um, but that is, you know, it, it seems it's easy. You know, obviously, the home kind of environment is a very simplified, you know, envelope of you know, there's only so many, you know, interactions uh, that, that are going to, that you know, that, that happen. But when you, when you take that into an office building, you know, it just grows exponentially, especially when you're, you're talking about, you know, the data points where, you know, a lot of people don't know, 
you know, everything is, is, is wired up. I mean, more and more things, uh, whether it be outlets, whether it be uh, light switches, whether it be, you know, and, and the building automation system has always been there. But there's a lot of data points uh, that are floating around already in the, uh, uh, you know, buildings today. So, yeah, I know that. that... Yeah, Go ahead. Oh, yeah. I mean, I was just going to say, I mean, it's, it's both the curse and the blessing of what we do compared to what a residential home looks like. Um, you know, we have a ton of information, a ton of people, a ton of, you know, people who care about the temperature who, who are sitting there in their desk all day. There's a lot um, of energy to sort of be harnessed there in the office environment. Um, in, in residential, you know, Nest really got a lot of attraction from things like vacation homes where people like the idea that they, you know, can keep their heating and cooling down until a few hours before they arrive, you know, and it started there and it kind of went uh, out. Um, it's a little bit of an easier thing, but I think homes are still really important, but it is kind of, it's been, uh, I think we've, we've certainly found um, many ways where we're jealous of the simplicity, you know, <laughs> but um, comfy, I guess to sort of start to get into a little bit of what we do, um, when we looked at the commercial environment, really office environments primarily to start with, um, you obviously, I think, you know, HVAC engineers will know that typically people share um, a temperature in commercial space, whether through, um, you know, in an open office area, they'll have usually a, a gargoyle volume box applying a particular area. Maybe it's 10 people, maybe it's 15 maybe it's 20, and uh, all of those people probably have a slightly different sense of what they like in terms of temperature, um, and they have to share one temperature, typically speaking. So when we looked at, at doing this, I think one of, the, one of the hypotheses that we've really been testing over the past year is will people find a way to kind of uh, share a temperature in a more collaborative and friendly way to give them the right tools to do so. Um, and that's what we've created with Comfy. It's so far, it's been uh, really exciting to see how well that's worked as a as a hypothesis. Um, and I think it's surprising to a lot of people. But once you kind of get into the details of what we did, I think it starts to make sense that uh, that something like this, the way that you present it to people on the sort of behavioral psychology side, especially, uh, is pretty key to getting that interaction just right. Um, you know, we we do the office space share a lot of things already, um, but temperature has usually been something that's been hard for people to share, typically because they don't really understand how it works, um, and you know, it's a little bit, and, and also because mechanical systems and thermostats haven't really been designed in a way that's particularly conducive to how people really experience temperature. So we've been trying to work on that with some space uh, to really kind of improve that whole interaction. Um, yeah. And just to be clear, Comfy is your, uh, essentially a, a product, your service. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so Comfy, so Building Robotics is the name of the company and Comfy is the name of our product that we have right now out on the market, um, which is essentially, um, it's, it's a little bit, it's essentially an intelligent thermostat, um, for office space. It's a, personalized temperature control is lots of ways you can think about it. Um, but what we do is we 
plug into the existing building management system in commercial buildings with all of the zones and everything laid out there. And we basically provide occupants with a very clean, nicely designed uh, interface that allows them to interact with uh, the temperature in their space. So it's very carefully done. We're not actually allowing them to sort of pick a temperature, say, you know, I want it to be 68 degrees all the time in here. What we do is we have three simple buttons. We have warm my space, cool my space, and I'm comfortable. And uh, occupants choose one of those three when they go into the interface. They select their location on the map first, um, which we just sort of get from the building owner or someone, mechanical drawings, those kinds of things. Uh, they select their location on the map. They click one of those three buttons. And then we actually do two things after they click. The first is we send them 10 minutes of warm or cool air, uh, depending on their request. Um, sometimes, depending on you know, how the VAs are done, it's just a little bit of a reduction in airflow. But typically, it'll be you know a little a little uh, burst of of cool or warm air. Um, we send that to them right as they click. So that's the first sort of big thing. Occupants really are losing trust with the notion that thermostats do anything in office space. Uh, you know, I think that they've, they've caught on to the, the trend of dummy thermostats and uh, the fact that people don't necessarily want them to be using uh, any temperature control. So this is already something that tends to be pretty cool for people when they first experience it, that they have um, this higher level of um, a real control in their hands, and they access the, I should say, they sort of access, they access company to a website, typically a, a website that can either be on their internal network for a corporation, you know, corporate network type of thing, or it can be um, just in the, you know, in the larger, in the cloud. Uh, we also have an iPhone app. So people will click one of those three buttons, they get that immediate stream of warm or cool air, but then we don't necessarily change the set point because of that. Instead, what we do is over time, we use all of those inputs to um, put into this machine learning uh, system that starts to optimize all of the zones based on people's votes over time, based on the time of day, the day of the week, um, the temperature that they voted at, uh, that kind of thing, where they were, of course. And what we're trying to do is to really tune each zone to the, the, the vote patterns of people in, those, in that zone. So if, you know, a group of people on a floor gets in at 6 a.m. and another group gets in at 10 a.m., say it's, you know, the finance folks and the IT folks, you know, something like that, then uh, Comfy is going to learn to reduce conditioning in the space that uh, has been occupied until 10 a.m. because it's not going to see any sort of usage there. Um, so it's very much based on the notion that people are going to, you know, click and express their opinions, which we do really see in pretty incredible numbers. We get a lot of persistent use over time. It's been really fun to watch that happen. Um, and um, where there aren't any clicks in any particular zones, a lot of times it'll be corridors or bike rooms or, uh, you know, um, uh, copy rooms, things like that. When no one clicks in those zones, it means that we're actually going to keep those zones with the maximum temperature allowable from given to us from the building manager. So typically, those are dead bands of more like 8 to 10 degrees. Um, so 
because there's you know no one sitting in the copy room all the time, you can keep the conditioning a little bit less precise in those areas. And that in of itself gets a lot of energy savings. Um, basically, we I think we're seeing something like 25% of the zones are not really um, occupied, generally speaking. And so we're not the, you know, the, the, the lack of, of votes in there means that we can keep it, um, you know, a little bit, something more like 68 to 78, oftentimes, things like that. So that's kind of how we start to save energy, which is a real advantage for people who are interested in trying to um, cut down on those bills. And uh, it's it's one of those rare win-wins where because technology is now allowing us to do something a little bit more finely tuned to people's behavior and people's preferences, we really do reduce conditioning instead of increasing it because of all of the opportunities where people really don't actually want uh, you know, the 70 to 72 degree office space. Uh, so, so that's the basics of how it works. Um, I think uh, there's probably a lot more. We started to get at sharing. I think the, the biggest things that people tend to ask are um, what happens if I'm in a zone and, you know, I want it warmer and my neighbor wants it cooler. Um, it's, the biggest, it's the biggest part of our design process, really. Uh, so, what we've done there is a few things. The first is when you go to click through the map, and you can actually go to our website at buildingrobotics.com and kind of see this. Um, also, actually, I guess by the time this airs, gocomfy.com will be up and running. So that's an even better place to go. What was that? Um, gocomfy. Oh, gocomfy.com? Yeah, yeah. That's okay. sort of a, a little bit more for, the, uh, for, for Comfy specifically. Um, so, yeah, and you can check out kind of how this looks visually. But basically, when you first go in and you're selecting your location on a map, you actually see all of the zones laid over the map. Um, so for an occupant, that's the first time they've seen something like that. They've, they've never known who they shared a temperature with. They might have had a, a an idea of it, but they've never actually seen that before. So it's a big moment for them to understand, um, a really, a really important moment for them to kind of get that sense of, of how um, of how they're sharing the temperature. And typically, what we see is that's sort of a first critical step in them knowing that if they make a request, it impacts other people. Um, the second thing that we do is we actually show who has voted in the zone, um, so they, all the occupants can see who voted, who has voted in their zone most recently, and what they voted and when they voted. So it's real transparency there instead of sort of the, the thermostat wars that you see in offices where someone will run up when no one's looking and, you know, crank it to cold and then someone else will go and, you know, a few minutes later when that person's gone to a meeting and crank it back down. But, you know, this is really aimed at having people understand that, you know, everyone cares about this. And, um, and then we also have one last thing we do called the buddy mode where, you actually, it takes, if, if you have a particularly large zone, you can turn this on. It takes two people to actually send the immediate response. That's a little bit like a nuclear warhead in that sense. You sort of have to have both keys to do it. Um, so there's a lot of little things you can do to get, to get to get that all to work well. But generally speaking, I think now we're having companies run in, in thousands of zones, and I think we've got probably maybe one or two where people vote differently at the same time of day. 
um, it's, it's really rare. Uh, it turns out, and uh, people find that very surprising. I think, especially HVAC engineers, find that very surprising. But it's important to remember that this is um, not just a matter of the diversity of people, but also the diversity of time. So, one person might be hot in the afternoon; the other person is cold in the morning. Um, we can handle that. that. That's something that company can take care of. Um, so, it, it's tended to be a lot of things like that, generally speaking. Right, and I, I, th- I think in in general, when you when you think about design, you you don't necessarily you don't have the funds to give everybody their own thermostat, so you end up grouping people is what ends up happening. Um, now, when I first saw your product, I'm thinking, you know, hey, this is a, I mean, it's a slick interface. It's 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 just you know, it's one of those things. You're like, oh, that's gorgeous. That's you know, it's it's kind of like you know the iPhone and the interface and the you know it's all kind of you know that that Web 2.0. But you're really looking at um, uh, you know, it, the, I guess the first thing that popped into my mind was the um, was uh, comfort surveys. I'm, I'm, you know, in yeah. dealing with lead mm-hmm. projects, you're like, okay, is this, is this sort of like a comfort survey um, to be able to determine, you know, if a, if a system is, is operating or not? Um, so I guess what would, how, how do you, how do you compare the two uh, comfy and, and comfort surveys? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So interestingly, I actually did my master's work on comfort surveys. Uh, so a little bit of background in that for sure. Um, and, uh, so I think I, you know, I have a little, um, soft spot in my heart for them. I think they're a great way to gather, um, at least some sort of baseline information about your building. Um, you know, one of the things we found, um, I did my, my research at the Center for the Built Environment at UC Berkeley, which is where a lot of, um, comfort survey research has come out of. And, uh, one of the things that you find is that you all, you do learn a lot from surveys, typically comparative um, stuff. So if you, if you do surveys over the course of a group of buildings, you'll oftentimes find the building that maybe has some of the biggest issues, um, you know, by just, by just comparison to what people wrote uh, in one building versus the other. Um, but they are just one point in time. And, and typically what we find about people and their thermal comfort preferences is it's, it's actually a little bit hard for people to remember um, accurately how they felt in space. Uh, it's an interesting thing, but we'll, we do certainly see that. If you sort of think about, were you, was there any time yesterday when you were too warm or too cool? Typically, unless it got really bad, you probably don't remember um, that or also people, if they did get very cold or very hot on one day, a week before, they might remember that the whole week was cold or hot um, because that was such an acute experience for them. So there's a lot of ways, what, you know, that, that those kinds of things can be a little hard to, to learn from accurately. Um, with Comfy, we are getting um, a lot more information for sure. Uh, it's a little bit more dynamic in that way. And that's fun. But I think the real critical part is that um, it is very hard. It's hard for a typical chief engineer to keep up or, you know, this their team to keep up with the dynamic nature of people's temperature preferences. We really do like things differently. If you come in from outside and it's, you know, a little bit hotter out and maybe you were just running around a bit, you're going to want it cooler, but you really only need it cooler for about 10 minutes, and then you'll be, you know, 
you'll be your your metabolic rate goes down, etc. So uh, it's it's an interesting thing. We do gather the data, and we think it's very you know useful in and of itself. But the fact that we are acting on it as it's coming in, but in a way that building managers are, are comfortable with, because it's ultimately still within the bounds of uh, you know a range that they um, agree to and. It's all in the name of comfort, so it means that their hot and cold calls typically um, are pretty much eliminated. Uh, you know, it, it's really um, a way of handling that those, those issues in a way that, you know, you do learn a lot. We certainly learn a ton about what people's temperature preferences are in the same way that you would with a survey. Um, but it's also just much more, uh, much more dynamic, much more... Um, Satisfying, I think, to the end user in the, in the survey. Yeah, that's, that's uh, yeah, that's interesting. You know, I, I guess I look at uh, you know comfort surveys a lot too. Um, that you're kind of trying to identify areas like problem areas, um, mm-hmm. where whereas it seems that Comfy, at least to me, is trying to address um, more of a, I guess, a, a productivity um, type of. Uh, uh, mentality where you're where you're you're saying okay I'm hot I'm cold um, I don't like this so I want it hotter warmer and then you know have that change um, which normally if if you got the hot and cold complaints like you're saying you know what that really means is you know somebody's hot or cold they call down to the building manager or the building you know, operations guy or whoever and they will like adjust the set point they'll do they'll do something weird. Um, but that will that temporary change that is stems from that call could propagate. You know, it could never get changed back. And I think yeah. where your system excels is that it will momentarily just say, "Okay, here you go. Uh, you got what you wanted. You know that you didn't have to bother the maintenance guy. And you know, if it continues to be problematic." you're going to start picking up on that, and that's when you can really address it. Did I get that right? Yeah. That's exactly right, yeah. That's, that's exactly what we're aiming for. And and it really is something that, um, you know, for, from our experience, building managers are pretty interested in doing because, like you said, that dynamic of oftentimes they're not going to go back and change the set point if they change it one time. We see that all the time when we go to launch company in new buildings, so, Sort of set points that have been, uh, uh, you know, left somewhere that they were, and no one really remembers, and the occupants moved in and out, and all of that. It's uh, it, it is. It's just hard to keep track of that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's absolutely what we see, and I think it's also. I will say one of the things that Comfy has been helpful though with, which has uh, been fun to see, is that the there are actually a lot of moments when we find uh, faults or other issues with the building, miscalibrated thermostats, things like that, because we're um, able to use people as sensors, and they actually are really good at that. Um, in many, you know, in many times, we, there was one building I think we launched in a while back, actually, where um, the occupants for the first couple of weeks of having comfy, they were clicking really frequently in this one room that it was too cold all the time, but our System. The BMS was showing that it was 74, 75 degrees. That seemed a little strange to us. So um, we uh, asked the manager to go to take a look, and he looked, and it turned out that the 
thermostat was miscalibrated, it was actually 68 degrees in there. Uh, and really, that was just, it was picked up very fast because the occupants, you know, unlike when someone might call with a hot and cold request, um, that this is something where you get to see that pattern much faster with a larger group of people. And that really helps you know that there's probably an issue there. So it's, 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 a, it's something where we're able to kind of help identify those types of faults hopefully a little bit quicker and with a little bit more reliability than what you might have otherwise going on. The occupants can really be, they, they like to be the eyes and ears of the building as long as they sort of think there's something that they get out of it, you know. So that's uh, basically what we've seen so far. So it, it has been helpful, I think, also in, in identifying some of those problem areas. We, we like to think of ourselves as a company that really offers comfort as a service. So, um, it, it, you know, we actually do walk through with our customers when we find things. You know, these folks are saying that it's really too cold in their space and there's not a whole lot that the VAV can do to warm it up because they're underneath a huge supply plenum. And uh, it's uh, just kind of the air, the way that the convection is working in a space, it's just making them too cold. So, hey, you know, maybe there's something different we need to do here. So we like to really help our clients understand how they can achieve that higher level of comfort. I think it's also worth saying for HVAC engineers, folks who are trying to encourage their clients to go towards EDC control, smaller uh, zones, smaller zoning, all of those things that HVAC engineers typically like to do. Um, this is one of those, something can be one of those reasons that owners can really grab onto that those kinds of things are worth an investment because they see it a lot more visibly in their world, um, in their day-to-day and in their employees' day-to-day. When you have company, it just sort of starts to, start, you start to notice those things a lot more. So that's been kind of a cool advantage because we really believe in, you know, smaller zones and BBC controls and all those kinds of things that are the next generation of, of HVAC. Um, or, you know, really just best, best practices in many ways in, in HVAC design. Um, so, you know, company can help in that way to really sell those things because it's a little bit more visible. Now, I guess, you know, if, if somebody's uncomfortable in a space, and this gets back to the operation of how Comfy works, they have three buttons they can choose. What's to prevent them from just saying, I'm cold, and then clicking on it again, and I'm I'm really cold, and just, you know trying to be the squeaky wheel here. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we have, we have our super users. We have folks who use it. We have company every day, you know, a couple times a day sometimes, depending on how it works. Um, so they can. Like, they can use that in that way. Um, if they want to be the squeaky wheel, it's, it's sort of, it's okay. What ends up happening is we don't like that to happen because, A, we think that they're going to, um, get the zone down below the temperature that we want them to. Well, that won't happen. There's a limit that they can go to, um, or up, you know, if they want it warmer. Uh, and then also we're worried about energy savings is another reason. We don't really want to be taxing the system and, you know, using too much energy. Um, what we find is that because of that, you know, it's, what it is is we're, we design for the full diversity of how people actually function in space. So if we were designing for the squeaky wheel, probably if we had a building full of squeaky wheels, it might not work that well. Um, but uh, even if you, 
even if you think you have a building full of squeaky wheels, you probably feel like that someday as a parachute engineer. But <laughs> generally speaking, um, you know, we have, I think, let's see, probably somewhere on the order of 2% maybe or fewer of our occupants uh, that are using Comfy are, are clicking, you know, once a day or more. So when you think about how much those people, uh, and then you think about that, you think about those people in comparison to the 25% of states that never have, see the country vote, um, the energy savings are really still there considerably, uh, even if you have a zone that's kind of working a little bit harder to keep it cooler or, you know, there's kids, they, they do like to push the button a lot. Ultimately, it's, it's fine. It really shakes out in the wash. So what what do the um, the building owners, the operators, what, what kind of interface do they see? I mean, it's a very simplified for the users, but when you get to the building operators, what does that look like? Yeah, yeah, great question. So um, for, the, for the building managers, we do show them an interface that looks a little bit like a building management system in the sense that it's a map-based. Um, we, have, well, we have one aspect of it is a map-based interface where they can click on different zones and see how people have been voting, see what company thinks the dead band should be at that time, um, really, you know, gets into some details there. So they've got a lot of information that they can see there. Uh, they also can see who has been voting, you know, they can look at a little live dashboard that tells them who, who voted that day and what they voted. Uh, so they do have the visibility there um, and they can really We've actually had a couple of clients at this point who have said that they would that they're interested in trying to place people in space a little bit more according to their personal preferences, um, which should be cool. I think we'll we'll see how uh, how that goes moving forward. But the general idea is a pretty neat one, which is that now that you kind of can see people's tendencies, you might be able to find a place that they find more comfortable um, than the place that they might be sitting now. Um, obviously, for the more dynamic, uh, you know, um, kind of uh, flexible workspaces, but that is something that, that you can probably get out of the, the back-end interface. Um, and there's a few other things that you can see there, but that's the basic gist of it. We try to make it really low-profile. Facility managers, in my experience, don't always want to deal with a new interface. They don't want to have to go in and use it every day or anything like that. They've got a lot of things on their hands and new software tools or a dime a dozen. So we try to really minimize uh, what people need to do there in the interface. They can continue to use their BMS or all of their zone overrides and maintenance um, downtimes and things like that. That's all still, you would still do that in your main BMS. So where where do you have Comfy you know installed already? I mean, obviously it's a it's a it's a uh, you know a new startup. You have inst- an installation base. Where have those been currently? Yeah, yeah. So we've actually been very fortunate to have kind of an interesting cross section of companies and um, groups that have been using Comfy so far. So we started at UC Berkeley. So we have a campus building there that's sort of a classroom, an office space. Uh, now we are in a, a good handful of buildings that range from sort of the tech companies uh, around here where we're based um, in, in Oakland. Uh, they're mostly down in Silicon Valley. Um, we've worked, um, well, we're in the green proving ground that the General Services Administration, the GSA, has. So we've been running a test.
uh, building for them, um, which has been really exciting. So that is um, mostly exciting, I think, because we'll have this great report that will come out at the end of that pilot that Oak Ridge National Labs is writing on a full evaluation um, with a sort of independent evaluation there about how comfy uh, impacts occupants and energy use and all those things. Um, we also have been working with Johnson Controls, which has been fun. So we have a, one of their, we were in their headquarters space in Milwaukee. Um, and then we have a, a, a nice handful of other buildings and folks that have been um, starting to try it out as well with our um, mechanical engineering firms. We've got one going now, a design firm, um, a landlord where they're actually paying for their tenants to have comfy, which has been great. Um, so there's, there's a lot, there. there's a lot there that's different, very different, actually. A range of our clients come from kind of different perspectives, which is cool. We really like that. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a interesting diversity, but we're, yeah, it's, over the past year, we've really just been focused primarily on making sure that we get these first buildings really thoroughly assessed and learn a lot from them. This is our, you know, sort of phase where we try to gather a lot of data make sure that we're doing everything exactly the way we want and adding the right features. So that group has been really helpful in, in that. And we'll have some case studies coming out soon that talk a little bit more about all of those installations and the, the data that we got out of those in terms of energy savings and, uh, and usage patterns and those kinds of things. So are, are you focusing currently, I mean, obviously a lot of the spaces that you talked about um, really are office buildings. Um, you're talking about uh, spaces that, you know, are offices, uh, open office areas, things like that. Is that, is that your main, um, I guess, uh, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It, it has been our main area so far. Um, we started there, there, I think, partially because, I mean, it's certainly a big portion of where a lot of folks uh, spend their time when they're working, and there's a lot of need there that was pretty clear. But we've also started to talk about going into spaces like hospitals, um, which tend to be medical office buildings as well, which have a lot of issues around the individuals in each space having particular preferences and it's changing over time and um, needing to be a little bit more sensitive to uh, their needs. So... Um, well, you know, certainly sensitive to folks like nurses who are coming and going, trying to change the thermostats all the time. Apparently, that's a big issue in uh, healthcare settings. So, looking at that kind of thing, um, we're looking at a few other kinds of opportunities. I think, generally speaking, we could go into any building that had a building management system and wanted to do something um, that was more of a zone level control, you know, personal interaction type of service. So uh, we're, we're open to talking to folks about different kinds of things as well. So now, um, I guess I should I go back two steps. When we're talking about, you know, the um, uh, integration into the building automation system, I can see this being kind of a sensitive subject to, to, to people. I, I guess, how do, how do you, I guess, interact with that? I mean, how, how do you technically, yeah. you know? Sure, yeah. So we, we we try to be yeah, really sensitive to that. So there's a couple things that we do. So I should say, first of all, we can plug into the, all the main building management systems out there that our people tend to use. We're um, pretty much, I think we've gotten through almost all of them now that we've 
had a deployment list. So, you know, Johnson Controls, Metasos, ALC, Siemens, Schneider Electric, um, Allison, etc. So, when we go into those buildings, typically what we're doing is we're overriding the zone level set point. So we really don't do anything with the central systems at all. We're just changing zone level controls, and it's typically just the set point during the um, the sort of the maximum and minimum dead band set point. Sometimes those are configured in different ways, but that's the basics. Sometimes but during the during the blast, uh, we do tend to we do um, override the airflow temporarily. Uh, as well, so that set point will change. But what we do is we run at the lowest backnet priority level. So we're always, if you need to override or turn off the system, it's very easy to do that. It's also very easy to, um, to, to you know, turn the zone off to change the permissions for any given zone. Um, you can just, we have, we've been very careful to sort of provide lots of options, lots of flexibility there. So. Typically, what we see is that folks will want to try it out in a small space just to start to see what it does, and that's totally fine with us. So we can facilitate that, uh, where basically you just plug in company and kind of see what it's doing on the back end and watch it and not even launch it to occupants yet, but just kind of check it out and see how, how, it, how it works. Uh, so we try to be really sensitive to the fact that this is something that people aren't used to um, having. Um, a machine do for them, but um, ultimately, you know, that that is what we're doing. It's just the, the dead band temperature set point for each zone. Nothing central system related at all. Right. So if 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 something happens with Comfy for whatever reason, uh, it's still at the lowest priority level. So we'll just go back to the default settings of what it was controlling to before. Exactly. Exactly. If for some reason our box got unplugged or you lost power and it came back on again, those kinds of things, yeah, yeah, it'll all just revert back to the original settings and, and we'll just, you know, work on getting it back uh, at, at your convenience. So getting getting down into the nitty-gritty, the nuts and bolts, you referred to, you just referred to the box. Um, and I was, I'm just kind of fascinated about, you know, I mean, obviously, you know, I think, a bunch of people understand the the building architecture where you know you'll basically have all the devices reporting back to a central uh, controller um, that's handling the the building automation system. That's where the brains, the programming, everything like that resides. Um, right. And you have a separate device that is um, you know physically connected into that, uh, communicating with that. Is that? Am I getting yeah. that right? So Exactly. So we can do this different ways. Um, again, we try to be flexible there. So what we tend to do is we have um, a little box that's just basically a computer, a small sort of a hard drive-based computer, and it plugs in via an Ethernet cable to the machine that's running the building in the system. We like to do reasons, but that's the that's the basics. So then that box is to the necessary data um, that runs Comfy into our management interface runs on. So that's basically how that works. We can also do a system that has um, where we actually put our software on a super building management system computer. Uh, So that's a possibility as well. 
Okay. Um, now, as far as, um, you know, feedback that you get from the users, um, what have some of your clients uh, talked about? Yeah, sure. Um, you know, it's really fun. I think um, for me, especially coming from a background of doing a lot of energy kinds of projects in the past with buildings, um, I've never had people come up to me and say, thank you, you've changed my life. Um, but, uh, but those are the, that's probably the extreme of how people experience something. Um, for a lot of people, you know, office temperature and then just sort of sitting at their desk all day, uh, not really being able to do anything about it. We have a lot of people who used to, you know, wear blankets at work and things coming and telling us how happy they are. Uh, so, so that's been really fun. Um, we also do see, we've got a lot of data that we've been collecting just about how the usage patterns um, look, so somewhere around 75% of people who have access to Comfy do sign up and use it. Um, and then it splits, depending on the client, it splits somewhere roughly into thirds of people. The first third is folks who use it more than once a week, you know, pretty frequently, um, and they seem to be pretty reliable that way. Then we have the people who use it. Um, occasionally, you know, more than once a month, uh, maybe they're going to a conference room and it feels a little bit chilly in there, something like that. Um, and then we have folks who used it once or twice when they first heard about it and haven't gone back to use it. Um, so we obviously survey those folks and find out a little bit of what is going on with them. And so far, it seems like they're just the type of people who say they don't really care too much about the temperature. They think it's cool, but someone else is using comfy and there's someone who they trust and they, you know, and they just leave it up to them, and, you know, they're not too picky. Um, so those are the kinds of ways that the usage breaks out. Um, and, yeah, typically we don't have very many zones that have gone into the into buddy mode. Buddy mode is something we just turn on when we see a lot of people voting in one zone. Um, and, you know, we just turn it on for, for good measure, but probably somewhere around... Uh, you know, 10 zones, 10, 15 zones out of the thousands that we have now that, that are actually using it. So it's really, you know, tends to be pretty harmonious in that way. Um, we've also been really happy with how the facility managers have found it. We've got, uh, we had one gentleman who we worked with to get Comfy up and running. He, he said it took him six hours total to work with us to get it all plugged in and up and running. Um, so for for a new software HVAC, you know, optimization kind of a tool, we, we think that's pretty good. Um, and he's been really happy. He hasn't seen any hot and cold calls since Comfy started, and um, that's generally been the, the case for the other facility managers we've worked with. So, yeah, generally it's been, um, it's been really rewarding. It's been a really positive experience so far uh, for, for all folks involved. I think it's also been nice to hear that folks like the property managers, people who are trying to add value to their facilities are interested in, in comfy and are starting to see that as, uh, as a value that they can add to tenants uh, to help retain tenants and those kinds of things. Excellent. Now, I guess, yeah, you know, the, the, the one thing that we haven't talked about is what what does it cost? I mean, what are, what are we talking here? I mean, how does it get rolled out? Um, you know, for for a building owner. Yeah, sure. So, 
Um, we're actually, I should say, we're doing one thing. This is a little experiment we've just decided to try where um, we are uh, offering people to install comfy in 20,000 square feet of space or less or roughly around there uh, for six months for $10,000 um, as a sort of a flat fee for basically installation, all the service, a little nice evaluation at the end that tells you sort of what impact it's had on your building in terms of energy and all those things. Um, so that's that's sort of an initial thing that we do just to get people to to to, get to try it. Um, it's generally priced as a service, so it is a sort of a software as service model where people will pay a service fee over time. But we can be pretty flexible about that. If people want to sort of pay a larger chunk up front and just do a longer contract or something like that, we can do all those kinds of things. That's fine. But ultimately, Comfy is really a service. As I mentioned before, we you know have teams who are kind of talking to occupants and making sure they're comfortable and tweaking little things to uh, make the space better for them. And that's really what we see as sort of is our goal is to uh, is, is to get everyone in the space comfortable and to use companies to do that, but also to kind of follow up with the personal touch whenever it's really needed. Um, so it's, it's uh, I guess I'll say, uh, it depends on the size of the building, on the size of the space, but it's uh, between one and four cents a square foot per month um, as the service uh, fee. All right. Fantastic. So, Lindsay, we're uh, coming to the end of our time here. Uh, what, uh, any final last words, anything that we didn't cover, uh, anything that you want to say? Um, no, I'm just really excited for, thanks for having me on, and uh, it's fun to talk about everything. If anyone wants to get in touch with me, there they can definitely find us on the website, gocomfy.com works, and buildingrobotics.com works, and uh, hopefully we'll see folks around in the future, we'll be at, we'll be at Ashray and Greenville this year, so stop by and say hi. All right, excellent. Well, thank you so much for being on the show, Lindsay. Thank you. All right, and we're back. Uh, thanks again to our guest, Lindsay Baker. Uh, much appreciated uh, for her time uh, that she, uh, out of her busy schedule, to sit down and talk with us. You know, a lot... I mean, so much about this product kind of resonated with me. I know that in some spe- in some aspects, we talked about uh, during the interview about how maintenance people tended to forget uh, or really didn't uh, pay attention sometimes to resetting uh, cold complaints, hot complaints. Uh, but you know, it's 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 not only the 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 building maintenance people, um, users who have in fact have their own control, um, change thermostats, and then then forget it. You know, it's not it's not human nature to to have it uh, always uh, be um, you know on the top of your mind. Uh, you know, you just want to be comfortable. I mean, at the end of the day, that's really what's important. But what was happening in this one particular case was that uh, the uh, people would change the thermostat and say they were, you know, they were cold in the morning when they came in. So they changed it, changed the thermostat. Uh, so they were really, really hot. Um, and then they came back from lunch and they were uh, really hot. 
and the the room was hot, so they cranked it all the way down. It's like it's the thermostat had two settings, like cold, hot, and and that's really the only thing that they understood because they wanted to take it to the extreme to get it as cold or hot, whatever kind of you know was was uh, what they wanted at the time, um, and then they would forget about it. So what it would end up happening is that after lunch, and they wanted it cold, they crank it all the way down and uh, to uh, to get it cooler, and then they leave for the day and they'd forget about it and it would be cooling it would be working so hard all the way around uh until the next morning uh when they came up and guess what the room was cold they were cold they cranked it up and the cycle started again so really what uh, what Lindsay and, and and the product there is kind of handling is the fact that um you know it really is kind of trying to smooth out and eliminate all these changes that are happening with the building set point um other thing that I'd, I'd like to point out is, is, I guess, don't underestimate the fact that if somebody's hot and cold and the comfort issues, I mean, obviously, the number one cost for any owner uh, in a space is the salaries of the employees that they have uh, working for them. Um, and it really, it just it doesn't take much. I mean, I've, in my own personal space at work, uh, you know, Three degrees, four degrees. You know, if you get if you get a if you get a thermostat that's not quite right and it's not quite controlling and it's just a couple degrees off, and then you add a couple more degrees uh, for it not being able to cool properly. You know, anywhere from you know just kind of not only just complain and not complaining, but not being able to focus. You don't realize sometimes how it what what it takes to really focus on something um, to really be able to uh, uh, um, you know. Focus on what you're, what you're working on. All right, get off my soapbox. That's it. Hey, everybody, thanks for listening. I really appreciate it. Uh, if you want, sign up for my newsletter, uh, reading list, notices, everything like that. It's going out. Uh, look for uh, buildingx.co uh, is the website, and it should be right there on the upper right hand side. So sign up for that. Uh, you'll get all sorts of notifications. Um, obviously, if you like this episode, pass it on. If you uh, uh, had any comments about him, send it to me. Um, you can uh, email me at matt at buildingx.co. Um, also, uh, Twitter, if you're interested in that, contact me on LinkedIn. And that's about it. I appreciate each and every one of you listening. I appreciate the time that you take. And hopefully this was something that uh, was beneficial, at least, uh, you know, something that uh, was a little bit more eye-opening, a little uh, off the beaten path. So, Until next time, remember, know what you build and share what you know. (laughs)